is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. The FDA's vaccine committee meeting tomorrow to debate the need for booster shots. What can we expect when there doesn't seem to be any consensus on boosters? Los Angeles County institutes some new COVID-19 rules, but why didn't officials go with a mandate covering all indoor spaces? And a landlord in Florida is requiring all his tenants to get vaccinated. Is that even legal? But let's start with the thing that nobody seems to agree on, booster shots. This with officials from the FDA set to meet on the need for boosters tomorrow. Dr. Peter Chin Hong, an infectious disease specialist at UC San Francisco. Doctor, I've read that the Israeli data that many are using to advocate for boosters actually isn't all that comprehensive. Is that true? Yes. Yeah, so the Israeli data is not the holy grail, that's for sure. Uh, the main problem with the Israeli data is that they only have one month follow up. And we know that it takes a while for people to get sick uh, and suddenly get really sick from COVID and go into the ICU after getting infected. So what they showed is that, um, and they only looked at people over 60. So if if you're over 60, uh, you had a decrease by about 20 times in getting severe disease um, 12 days after the booster shot. But again, um, you know, the main limitation was time and the population, again, it was a large population that was sampled over a million people. But again, the, the people who are actually eligible for the booster within that million uh, was small because, again, it was over 60-year-old individuals. Okay, so so again, if I understand what you're saying uh, based on that data, uh, all we really know for a fact, right, based on that data, is that somebody getting a booster in a certain age group might be better protected against uh, getting an infection or maybe even a severe illness, but mm-hmm. only for a very short time, and we have no idea whether it lasts for a month, two months, four months, a year? Exactly, and that revolving door, I think, is what's disquieting to many people, and is it going to be like a Groundhog Day situation? And, and in fact, the Israeli government a couple of weeks ago already started preparing the population for the idea of a fourth shot. And again, are you really going to set up an expectation of getting a shot every six months to prevent infection? Or are you going to keep your eyes on the prize, which is really, as long as I keep people away from the hospital, I'm going to be really happy. Yeah, I was going to ask you what what ultimately if booster shots are shown to be, you know, uh, more or less effective, what's better to to get the rest of the population who are not vaccinated at all, uh, get them the shots? Is that better than worrying about getting booster shots to people who are vaccinated? Yes. I mean, in some senses, it appears kind of, you know, a little bit silly to worry about over vaccinating half the population when there are more than 80 million Americans still unvaccinated and therefore would be the reservoir of continued transmissions and creation of variants. I'm not against the idea of boosters. It's definitely going to be safe. We have plenty of vaccines and, but it's really a question of values and what do we value as a society? Well, and, and it also, I guess, is a question, right, of, of messaging. I mean, if if the idea is, and I think a lot of people think this, that you get a, a COVID shot so that you never, ever, ever get infected by COVID, that's going to be a losing game, right? Totally. I mean, are you going to get a shot every three months if the next variant that comes around 
um, is going to be a little bit more vaccine evasive. So it's just a matter of keeping up with with the reality of circulating virus, which is probably best served by giving at least most people anything like one shot or right. two shots. So so here here comes, doctor, my loaded question. Are we being played? And I'll tell you by by whom are we being played by big pharmaceutical companies who, uh, as you know, they've been pushing for a booster shot. Pfizer has been pushing for a booster shot before hardly any data was even in, even before the Israeli data was. The White House jumped on board very quickly before anything was really in to announce a date of the 20th of uh, this month to begin rolling out boosters. It does make one suspect that there's something going on that's not normal. It is a little bit weird. I agree with you. Um, the other interesting aspect is that Israel is a Pfizer country. The only vaccine they use in Israel is Pfizer. And from the beginning, there was a collaboration between the Israeli government and Pfizer to share data. So it, data is data, but it's also how you spin the data. And if you say, oh, look, the antibody levels are going down and I'm so scared because it's six months and they're like five times lower. Um, it's one thing, but if you say, wow, the vaccines are still spectacular and they prevent 97% of people from getting into the hospital and getting into severe trouble, that's another message altogether. And in fact, Pfizer has both messages out right now. It's just that the second message isn't getting as much play. All right. So if we have these uh, new uh, variants that come out as people don't get vaccinated, that gives rise to new variants. Uh, at what point do we see a variant that's going to force uh, the vaccine to be re-engineered? And would that mean that we'd have to start over again from scratch? I think most scientists believe that the superpower that keeps viruses and variants in operation isn't the one that causes resistance. That tends to be less fit. It's a little bit clunkier. And if you were a variant, um, Charles or Ralph, you probably want to be the variant that has the superpower of increased transmissibility, like Delta. That's why Delta is putting into dust like all the other more resistant variants, like the one in South Africa, uh, Beta, or the one in Br Brazil, Delta, or even Lambda and Mu that we heard about recently. So that's kind of like, so far, it seems that you can only have one main power as a variant. And the one that's keeping them in operation is transmissibility. All right. Thank you very much, Dr. Peter Chen Hong, director of the Immunocompromised Host Infectious Diseases Program at the University of California, San Francisco. Officials in Los Angeles County are implementing new rules requiring that customers and employees at some indoor establishments be vaccinated. But it's far from a complete mandate. Catherine Barger is an L.A. County supervisor. Uh, supervisor, let's start with a different issue. Uh, it looks like tens of thousands of county employees aren't yet vaccinated, even with an approaching deadline. What's being done about this? Yeah, so I want to give a clarification because Dr. Ferrer did clarify. Um, you have a period of time to download your vaccination information. And um, as of right now, 60% is, is a figure because we haven't gotten a complete um, overview of terms of those who have, are procrastinating and not downloading it because they have till October 1st. So that Dr. Ferrer feels that number is actually going to be higher. But of those that have actually self-disclosed right now, that, that 
figure is accurate, but we don't believe it accurately depicts those who have, in fact, really gotten vaccinated. So to make sure I understand that correctly, then. So the thinking is that even though the figures at the moment are showing about 60 percent of county employees not vaccinated yet, uh, the feeling is that's because they haven't. Some people who have been vaccinated or partially vaccinated uh, have not yet uh, uploaded the information to confirm this. Is that it? Correct. Absolutely correct. And, and actually, it's funny because I have to check to see if I have to upload my information. Um, I didn't know that was a, a, a requirement, so I haven't done it. Um, so I've got to find out what we need to do in order to supply the county with proof of vaccination. So, so that is correct. That so, is correct. So, so you're you're inadvertently you're among the roughly 60 percent then, right? <laughs> Um, yeah, I guess if misery loves company, I'm in good company, though. 60%, come on. <laughs> yeah, but that's true. That's now, true. How serious, though, how seriously will the county deal with uh, those county employees who, uh, once everybody is tabulated, those who have actually uploaded the info, and as we get past the deadlines, those who still are adamant about not getting it, what then? I think that that's the question, and that's what the board is struggling with right now. I know that there's questions because um, the current current plan was to not to allow for a testing option. Um, I personally think that we need to um, work with our workforce because they clearly are on the front line. And if testing needs to be put into play, I'm open to discussing that. But we have to work with our unions and discuss with our unions what options are available. Um, you know, I think that it's important for us to have that dialogue um, rather than just simply mandate. We have to enter into dialogue about how we get um, the workforce that currently doesn't want to get vaccinated. How do we get them um, to the table to to get vaccinated? And then for those that that have a religious or medical exemption, um, we need to put into play testing for them. Um, because it's important that we that we accommodate um, that population and still keep our workforce safe. And so these are these are questions that have been asked. And um, our CEO, Fizia Davenport, is actually working with um, all of our labor partners to come up with the answers that this board needs to really make a decision on what we do once October 1st hits. And um, there's a whatever percentage it is are not vaccinated in the workforce. How do we move forward and address that issue? Let's talk a little bit about this potential for some county employees to claim a religious uh, exemption. Uh, All over the country, it's not just here in California, lots of people are apparently finding religion. Some have it, but some are finding it when it comes to this vaccine. Uh, Even though, uh, as far as we understand, we've had all kinds of religious experts on the the show, no uh, mainstream religion, uh, no main Protestant denomination, uh, Muslim, Jewish, (laughs) Catholic, you name it, has any strictures about getting vaccinated. In fact, all of them encourage vaccinations for all kinds of other things. So my question is, um, how do you determine whether someone's so-called religious uh, request for religious exemption is a valid one and based on on what? You know, it's interesting to say that. First of all, as you know, it's a federal um, uh, mandate. It's a legal protection. And this question, I think Sebastian Kuehl raised it yesterday at the board meeting. Um, what exactly is going to determine um, religious exemption? But as long as it's a federal um, requirement that we include that, I think that we need to accommodate. And to your point, I don't, you know, I, many people are finding religion, which may be a good thing, but 
we need to ensure that that's not being used as a tool just to avoid getting vaccinated. And so county council is opining on that right now. And I think it's going to bring back what criteria is in place that will um, comply with the federal guidelines as it relates to re religious exemption and um, and help us build a path forward for those that are going to be providing that documentation, claiming that they have a religious exemption. Let's talk a little bit about uh, what came out of yesterday's uh, health department uh, latest edict on uh, mandatory vaccinations if somebody uh, is going into a, a bar or a lounge. Uh, and yet, and some people were scratching their heads the other day, yesterday, uh, and yet restaurants, it's just a recommendation, uh, nothing about gymnasiums, nothing about uh, uh, barbershops, hair salons, that sort of thing. Um, and I get it that uh, it's harder in some of these other places, but Cities from New York to San Francisco have managed to impose those mandatory requirements on all those venues I just mentioned. Indeed, the entire country of France has managed to pull that off. Why can't L.A. County? Well, I mean, I think that that some of my colleagues and I were scratching our head as well. Um, that's why, you know, when Dr. Ferrer brought this recommendation forward on the new health um, officer orders, uh, it would go into effect on October 2nd. I mean, October 7th, I'm sorry. But for me, um, there's a lot of unanswered questions, um, even in terms of compliance right now. Um, why were these industries selected? You know, bars, breweries, wineries. Um, one of my staff members talked to friends who said, they'll just go to a restaurant with a bar. Um, so what is the real end game on this? And if it is to get people to comply with vaccine or vaccinations, um, or is it in fact to protect public health? Because it seems as though it's being piecemealed um, and quite frankly, my disappointment is the industries are not being brought into the discussion um, as it relates to drawing a roadmap moving forward. When I was chair of the board, um, I created a resiliency task force, which brought together industries um, that are impacted by COVID and asked that they be a part of the discussion as we move toward reopening. Um, and when you look at some of the industries that are being impacted, they are frustrated that they have not been they've been told they have not been asked in terms of what their thoughts are on this. And in, you and I both know in order to get full compliance, you have to have all on board. Not everyone is going to be, but at least have the industry in the room to discuss what these orders are gonna look like because they're gonna have to implement them. And I'm not of the opinion right now that the way it's being rolled out um, is really going to address some of the concerns that Dr. Ferrer has. Um, at the board meeting, she talked about how um, these industries were selected because people tend to go in and they're congregating and drinking and bars, you know, they're, they're congregating and drinking. But breweries tell me that, in fact, they provide food. And a lot of them, I think, as Brother Han said, um, bring their families to these. So how, how was this segment uh, determined to be the top priority? And is it piecemealing? And I think we need to look at that before this goes into play on October 7th. So it might change is your view? Um, I, I think, you know, I, I hope that the public health is open to um, modifying based on input, not just from the board, quite frankly, but from the industries, because in order for this to work, we, they've got to be our partners. Um, you know, the only way we're going to slow the spread of this virus is obviously to get people vaccinated, but also to partner across the board with every industry where we're the public comes in contact to make sure that we have compliance, because if we don't, 
Um, we're going to have bad players. We saw it when we had the safer at home and then, you know, businesses didn't want to comply. And, and, it, and it then becomes a spreading ground. And, and actually, um, you know, for me, I think it, it, it exacerbates the, the situation and, and really creates a lot of um, public uh, distrust in, in government. And Delhi County Supervisor Catherine Barger. Coming up after a short break, can a landlord require tenants to be vaccinated? Tenants in a South Florida apartment complex are being required to get the COVID-19 vaccine by their landlord, which raises lots of questions. Jacqueline Fox is a professor of healthcare law and policy at the University of South Carolina Law School. Professor, can the landlord legally do this? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think he can. I mean, you know, these are unprecedented times and it's hard to know exactly what courts would rule. But generally speaking, I don't see why not. It seems like a pretty straightforward contract provision. The only thing I can think of that might cause a problem is the uh, ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act. So, so if a landlord wanted to require a vaccine, I think they would have to allow for reasonable accommodation for people who truly could not get a vaccine. So something like masking and, you know, quarantining with symptoms or something like that would probably be sufficient. All right. Let's say this, like you say, he can probably get a, do this. And let's say he does this and uh, the, the courts back him up. Uh, is there another landlord somewhere else is going to tell his tenants, OK, you've got a month to get vaccinated. And if you don't, I'm evicting you. Is that where uh, is that the line that can't be crossed? So that depends on the actual terms of the lease. Um, you remember, landlord tenants have, does have some laws within the community that govern like what the leases look like, but it's essentially a contract relationship. So some leases, for example, have things about public health and safety and rights to evict for violations of that, like running a meth lab or something in your apartment, things like that. If the prevailed on saying it was a public safety that fit within the terms of the lease, they might have some ground to stand on. But it's a much more complicated undertaking than it would be to require it to enter into a lease. So, uh, I mean, I wonder, that's an apartment building, but I wonder if you were to buy a a home in a neighborhood, for example, could, I don't know, could could a a term of of the, the, the sale be that you have to be vaccinated to be even living in the neighborhood? I don't think so. It's like you're writing a law school exam here. You're going to yeah. push it further. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess you could, you know, it's an interesting question. Like, could you, why would someone do that? Like you're saying, I'm selling a house and the person buying the house, I'm going to try and require them to well, I mean, I mean, Yeah, I mean, let's say hypothetically, yeah, let's say hypothetically you live in a neighborhood and you know that your neighbors are all vaccinated. Maybe somebody's moving in who, for whatever reason, however you find this out, it maybe is, is pretty obvious that they don't believe in vaccinations. Can you say, well, you can't buy the house because you're not vaccinated. Everybody else is. I don't see why not. I mean, you're allowed to not sell a house to people because you don't like them, right? We have some rules about it, about, you know, protected classes of people, but unvaccinated aren't it. And people do that all the time, right? You know how people write those nice letters where they're trying to buy a house yeah. and they're like, oh, we'll be great in the neighborhood and stuff. And so we know that that goes on. So I don't see why that couldn't be part of someone's decision making, right? That I'm not going to sell a house to someone who's not vaccinated seems as legitimate as really anything else that's not constitutionally protected. 
One state is now rationing its health care due to an overwhelming surge in hospitalized COVID-19 patients. Idaho is one of the country's least vaccinated states, with only about 40 percent of eligible residents fully vaccinated. ICU beds will be allotted to the patients most likely to survive, and other patients will be treated with less effective methods. An Idaho official is calling the situation dire and says the best way for the state to get things back to normal is for people to get vaccinated. You can find this Odyssey original podcast and others on odyssey.com and the odyssey.com app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. And be sure to hit that follow button.